You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Welcome to the show. The interview subject coming up for you is the one and only, the very legendary Ricky Warwick. Ricky is in the modern version of Thin Lizzy. He's in Black Star Riders alongside of Lizzy guitarist Scott Gorham, and he's got his own thing going on, which is the catalyst for the conversation you're about to hear. The solo album, When Life Was Hard and Fast, it's out right now. Right now being the 19th of February 2021, and it's a cracker. As you'll hear through the chat, my introduction to Ricky came about through the almighty. Plenty of banter because he's a superb frontman, I must say. He's done a lot with his life. I enjoyed this chat. So here he is, Ricky Warwick. Hey, Andy. Hey, mate. How's things? Not too bad. How's it going? You well? I'm doing very well. Yeah, mate. It's, it's interesting. It must be uh, must be the the 24 hour period for people from Northern Ireland because I was talking to the former guitarist from uh, keyboardist from Cradle of Filth last night. So uh, two people in the space of 24 hours from Northern Ireland I've spoken to really? for the podcast. I, I, I had no I had no <laughs> idea he was from Northern Ireland. Wow, there you go. Yeah, I think he lives in York these days though from his Facebook right. profile. But but uh, right. one thing I was saying is, man, everybody that I've spoken to from Northern Ireland, it's like Sweden, man. Everybody that I've spoken to from there has been fantastic and so easy to have a chat to. That's good. Well, you know, we're 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 built from, we're built from good stuff. What what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, how's the uh, how's the old? Uh, I guess you've got to call it video grind these days. You know, no doubt you've been of days on end doing this, and it's the eve. I know in your part of the world, it's the eve of the release. It's out yeah. now in Australia, though, isn't it? But yeah. how how have the interviews been going? It's been great, thank you, uh, Andy. I mean, I, I I'll be honest with you, mate. I've never done more promo for a record in 30 years of putting out, putting out albums. And, and bizarre as that is because of the situation that we're in, mm. uh, you know, it's just nuts, but it's, it's, I've been at it now for maybe five, six weeks and it's been every day and it's been brilliant. And I, like I said, I've never, I've never had this sort of reaction, you know, before um, I've done tons of press before. Obviously you do, you fly over, you do promo tours and stuff. But the volume and, and uh, the amount of them has been incredible. So, listen, no complaints. Really good. Thank you. I'm hearing you. Yeah, well, I don't think there should be any complaints based on I've, I've been living with when life was hard and fast now for many weeks, man. And so straight off the bat, I'm going to say congratulations. It's, it's oh, fantastic. Mate, thank you very much. Thank yeah. you so much. That, that's not me bullshitting you either. You know, I know you get people saying this stuff and they don't mean sure. it. Sure. I've been, sure. you know, we've got, we've got young girls, man, and I crack open a beer and go outside and they play on the swings and I play with them and stuff too. That's what I choose to have on. That and the new Accept album. You're in the oh, new right Accept on. album. Well, well, well thank you, you know. man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So, so but it, it's you. I don't think people realise, man. I mean, look, I, I know you from the Almighty. I've got to say that's true. Sure, of course. Yeah, Almighty no, absolutely. Band, a lot, most people do, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, this is your eighth solo album and and – to the point that you've been in the recording business as a recording artist now for well over 35 years. I think it is now 30 years at least, but look, it does. The album continues your long and rich association with writers, hard rock and roll. I can always tell it's you with your voice, man. But uh, one of the things about this album that I can hear, I can hear how hard you've worked on it to craft it, Mm -hmm. to make it an Mm -hmm. album full of just no bullshit, soulful rock and roll. There's nothing fake here. It sounds like, Thank you. to use a rugby parlance, you've left nothing on the pitch here. I mean, you've just you've gone right. out there. You've had a very solid yeah. game. 
and you've given yeah. it everything you've got. But uh, you, we, we might have touched on this already, but, you know, how do you feel? Because uh, it, it is the release day here in Australia. Is, is it a sense of pride, accomplishment, relief, or maybe even a combination of all three? <laughs> well, thank you for saying all that. That's, that's really cool. You know what? It's taken 30 years of hard work to make this record. I couldn't have made this record without the 30 years that I've put, that, that I've put in and everything that's happened to me in that time. And I think that's, that has come out on, on the album and in the lyrics and in the attitude. Um, I'm delighted it's coming out because the thing was done back in 2019. I mean, I've been sitting on it for two, almost oh, wow. two years, okay. you know? So I've been living with it and I've been listening to it a lot because, you know, you, you, you finish a record, you bombard yourself with it for three or four weeks after you make it because it's new in the studio. And then mm-hmm. I don't listen to it again. And maybe I'll pull out, you know, until you pull it out one day, oh, I might listen to that album again. You don't really listen to your own <laughs> stuff. Yeah. But I've been going back and visiting this a lot because it, I think it's connected with me in a way maybe I don't even know why previous albums haven't. And I'm going back and I'm not listening to it going, oh man, I wish I'd changed that or I wish we could have tweaked that or, you know, and in, in, in this sort of two years, I've gone back and gone, man, I can't wait till people hear this because I feel really good about it. I feel different about it and I can't, I don't really know why, but I think just one of those things, the, the, the planets aligned, hooking up with Keith Nelson. Three and a half yeah. years ago, I didn't know, I didn't know Keith. I didn't know him. I mean, I knew he was, but I, I didn't know the guy. He's one of, now he's one of my best friends you know, because of this whole experience. And it's just sometimes just things happen and everything moves and aligns and by getting sort of too hippie, hippie here. Everything just sort of kind of comes together. And I really feel it did on When Life Was Hard and Fast. Yeah, great. It definitely, it all clicked and it's clicked bloody hard, mate. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an album that's going to be a stayer. I know what you're saying. Thank you. It's it's difficult as an artist for you to listen to your own stuff. God knows I've been a part of many recording sessions myself as a musician and you never sure. listen to things again because it just doesn't. Yeah. We're our own worst critics, aren't we, when it comes to being of in course. a studio? Of well, course, get, you, get you get too close to it. You know, you just, you get, you get it's hard to, you can't take a step back from it, you know? Mm. But someone of your caliber, obviously, you could pretty much invite whoever you want and it sounds like you have to guest on the yeah. album. So we're talking, <laughs> okay, just a couple of the ones that stood out for me. And I know there's more than this, but there's three big ones. Joe from Joe Elliott from Def Leppard, fantastic singer. He does the backing vocals on the title track. Um, Andy Taylor, i got to say, takes the cake for me because I'm a huge Power Station fan. And yeah. he's ex-Duran Duran. But the trademark guitar solo that he's put in, uh, I'd rather be hit. I mean, Incredible. Geez, yeah. And uh, I, Dizzy Reed, I only just found that out like five minutes before we got onto the call that Dizzy was also uh-huh. on the on the recording. Yeah. But for so, for someone like you, man, who could pretty much ring up, you know, Vivian Campbell's another one of your fellow uh, Belfort, you know, from Northern Ireland too. Um, you could pretty much invite whoever you want. So when you're writing an album, mate, do you say, "Oh, Vivian would be good for this potentially," or do you say, "Andy would be great for this," or Joe? Is that how it works, or can you tell, talk me through how you select people? Not really, until the track's finished until the track's actually finished, then you kind of go, you know, he'd be really great on a play solo on that. And that's when you start thinking of, of, mm. of, of people, um, you know, 30 years of doing this and 30 years of touring with so many amazing bands. I'm becoming friends with those guys. And first and foremost, these guys are, are my closest friends. They're insanely talented musicians. And I'm a fan of what I'm a huge fan of their music. Obviously Joe and I've obviously worked together in the past. He co-produced the first two 
Ricky Warwick's solo albums and mm-hmm. I've sang on a Def Leppard album and he's one of my closest friends. And Joe's a bit of a mentor to me, you know. I, I always say, and I mean, it, it's hard to argue with a guy that sold over 100 million records. Mm-hmm. So if I'm working on something, I'll be sending Joe ideas and he'll go, hey, you know, I think you can push yourself a bit more in the chorus there. Or, or and I'll, you know, he always tells me straight and I love that. And I don't always agree with him, but I always know, I'm, you know, he's, he's a great barometer for me. So it's a no-brainer. I, when I'm sort of working on something solo, I, I want Joe involved on it some way. And I think our two voices blend very well together as well. So that was a no-brainer um, to ask Joe to come sing, sing on a track. With Andy, again, back to the almighty, Andy produced Soul Destruction, our, our, the second Almighty album. Yes. And we've just stayed friends ever since. You know, Andy took a back seat for a while there when he wanted to rear his kids and get his kids up through high school and get them set for life. And he's now making music again um, really ferociously. And he's got a great studio in Ibiza. And about three, four years ago, he called me up and said, you know, me come down, let's write some songs. So I went over to Ibiza and we we wrote about 12 songs, five or six, which are going to be, and he's got a solo record coming out later this year. Can't wait for you to hear it. You know, okay. think think if you love the power station, you're going to love this. Oh yeah. And I co-wrote about five or six songs with Andy on that, and I was just writing, starting to write, get ideas for um, when life is hard and fast. I said, "Hey man, return the favor. Will you play guitar on one of these tracks when I finish the track?" He's like, "No problem. Send it to me." Same with Dizzy, known Dizzy for many years. Dizzy's here in LA. The great thing about having Dizzy was Dizzy was here, so we could actually have Dizzy down in the studio. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was. All over the world, we had to email in the tracks and they did in the studio yeah. and sent it back. But Dizzy came down and hung out and played keyboards with Keith and I while we were actually in Keith's studio, which was great. And again, you know, just a phenomenal musician, a good guy, a good guy to be around, good energy. And I'm blessed that these people are my friends and I can reach out to them and, you know, bring them in. And a good thing about, again, you know, doing a solo record is nihilism. You're not going to piss off anybody in a band because there's no band to piss off. So you can have whoever the hell you want playing on it. <laughs> is it... You've been you've been doing this as long as anybody out there, but you, you've always struck me as being very down to earth in interviews, and and certainly by way of the music there. But you sometimes, especially, and I'll talk about some of the other work that you've been doing with Scotty for the for the God for the last decade sure. and a half or thereabouts uh, later on. But um, is it weird, you know, to you have just sort of those pinch yourself moments? You're the guy up front leading the band, and you've got these all star cast around you, and you can call anybody you want to sort of help you. Totally. I mean, and it hits you and it hits you at strange moments. I mean, I can be sitting talking to to Joe or to Andy as like they're a mate. And suddenly this moment will just come and go and that's Andy Taylor. That's Joe. <laughs> and you kind of have to go, okay, calm down. You, 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 you turn into fanboy, you know, you just yeah. do for a moment. You just, you just, the enormity of it hits you, you know? And, and, but I love those moments because that shows me that I obviously I still am. Yeah. Um, and it makes me giggle, you know, um, and, and it happens at weird times. You know, you might be in a night out or you may have been, you know, been having a few drinks for two or three hours and suddenly you'll be sitting in a bar with one of these guys and you'll just suddenly go, oh, my God, you know, that, you know, I remember buying, you know, buying photograph when it came out as a single. Yes. And, you know, you know and <laughs> I love it. I love it. But it does. Yes. To answer your question. Absolutely. Yes. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, look, there are two tracks I want to isolate and talk about uh, with you. Sure. Um, Never Corner a Rat, which I understand is based on a conversation that you had with a US Marine, but that could be one of my favourites. I think that and I'll talk Thank about you. time don't seem to matter in the sec, but can you tell sure. me the, the inspiration from Never Corner a Rat came from a conversation with a 
with the U.S. Marine. Can you tell me a bit more about it? Yeah, of course, man. You know, and it was, I think that was the only song I actually wrote on electric guitar. I think I get these moments where I have my setup, you know, I kind of like as you get older, it's a bit like glasses. You know, you have glasses strategically placed in every room so you don't lose them. I'm like that with guitars now. That's how bad it's got. I've got a guitar strategically placed. So I've got a little amp set up. And I think I was just walking by it one day and I was just like, just grabbed it. And it was just, you know, first thing I played was that riff. Oh, that's a bit good. Recorded it, sent it to Keith. Keith and I worked on the music. And then we were, I had a lyric. I'd written a lyric already, which I tend to do because I, I just, I write a lot of lyrics even before any music in mind. I had a conversation. We were on tour with Judas Priest with Black Star Writers in the States about three years ago. Um, we played a show. Um, uh, I, try, I think it was in Virginia. It might be in Virginia. I can't remember. What, but a friend of a friend was there and introduced me to this guy and came on the bus. Turned out this guy was an ex-Marine, been in the Marines for you know 15 years, done various tours of Iraq and seen a lot of action and the whole thing. Had suffered from you know post-traumatic stress syndrome, was back, served his country, gave us all, and was struggling. Was struggling to be accepted back into society just to, you know, the help that he needed, he wasn't getting. And he just highlighted a lot of problems. I mean, I, I was aware of it. I have other friends. I've got family and military, so I, I was aware of it. But just his resilience of, like, I'm not giving up. You know, I've not let my country down. I'm not going to let, let my country let me down. Um, his attitude really, really sort of struck a chord with me. And really, it's verbatim the conversation that we had. And he just said, you know, you know don't ever corner a rat because you never know when they're going to bite back. And I went, that's killer. <laughs> you know, that's great. That's just really great. And and the whole kind of lyric just evolved from there. So when I got the music, I'm going through my notes and suddenly I'm going, oh, this kind of fits over this because, you know, it was an aggressive song. I felt it needed it needed the subject had to be worthy of the of the aggressiveness of, of the song, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, and that, I love that contrast between "Never Corner a Rat" to "Don't Time Don't Seem to Matter" because that that from what I understand, that's about your daughter. And uh, I've got absolutely two yeah. too, so I can I can relate. Oh, cool. But, Congratulations. So it, thank you. Yeah, and, and then likewise, yeah. you know, because but but is is a song like that? Have you had that for a long time? Because to me, that sounds like one that's it. It, could, it might not be. It might have been one you wrote recently, but it sounds like one that's mm. been gestating for a while there. It was written in 2018 as a majority of the songs where, I mean, you have riffs and you have lyrics hanging about sometimes for, for years and, and mm. on end. But that, I mean, I can remember writing it as clear as day and it was written really quickly. Um, you know, no disrespect to Keith. Keith didn't really have a lot to do with the writing on it, although I give him a writing credit because he made a couple of chord changes in the chorus that changed the whole dynamic of the song. Mm. But the actual essence of the whole song i was back in belfast what we tend to do with black star writers when we're doing the european festivals you know during the week there's two or three days obviously where there's no festivals so it, because we all live in the states there's no point in flying home so for me great i get the chance to go home and see family in ireland which mm. is what i would do and we've been out for about four or five weeks and you know i was just homesick and i'd missed birthdays and i'd missed thanksgivings and i was just kind of feeling sorry for myself and I wanted to write a, a note to Pepper, just sort of saying, look, I'm really sorry that what I do takes us away from what from, from, from you, but it also gives us the lifestyle that we have. And also when I'm home, I can spend, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, the quality of time I get to spend with you, not the quantity that's important. Yes. And I wanted to express that in a song to her. So I just started playing, you know, and 
it just came out. Just it just it all came out. It just came out. Sang it into the phone, took it back, played it to Keith. Keith came up with a great chord um, suggestions in the chorus, and he's like, "Let's do a demo of it." And I went, "Man, I had a stinking head cold that day." And I went, "I like, bro, I, really, let's do it another day. I don't feel like singing. I'm, I'm you know, my, my head's full of the cold." He's like, "Just, just throw it down. You know, nobody's going to hear it but me and you." So he set up a mic. I reluctantly agreed to do it, and I really got into when I was playing. I just, I just lost myself and. And one of those head calls where you can hear yourself inside your head, your ears yes. are so blocked. Mm-hmm. And I did it in one take, and we listened back to it. And Keith goes, "Hey, you don't sound too bad for somebody that's, that's not feeling well, you know." And I thought, "Yeah, okay, it's pretty good." So we left it. We come to record the album six months later. We're pulling up the demos. We revisit this one. I said, "This is a start. Let's re-record it. Let's, you know, bring the big mics in. Let's put the." So we set up all the mics. We set the guitar up. We spent all afternoon trying to recreate what we'd done on the demo. I couldn't get anywhere near it. So I looked at Keith at the end of the day and I went, we're keeping the demo. And he went, yeah, we're keeping the demo. Nice. So the actual guitar and voice on that is one take, me being really ill with a cold. And that's what ended up on the album. Obviously, we added the strings and then we added Pepper on later. But that's how that song came about. So, you know, um, yeah, it's a special song. It really is. Yeah, you can feel that. Yeah, no, it's 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 a, thank you. it's it's one of the strongest songs you've written. I've got to say that one there. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, a lot of your songs come from the heart, but I could I could feel that one. Maybe it's a connection because we're both fathers and daughters. Maybe that's what sure. I I, I think I think I mean I absolutely think it is because I like I said I was trying to maybe I was thinking about a telephone conversation I was going to have with her later, and and I always find I, I express myself better in my lyrics than I do when, when I'm talking to somebody. And I think that that was definitely, you know, a case in point right there, you know? Hey, I'll just do a time check. How much more time have I got with you? We're good, bro. You're, you're the last one, last one for oh, today. So great. take your time. Okay. No, no problems. Fantastic. Gosh, no, I've been waiting for this conversation for a couple of years. I've got to say, mate, thank you, know, you. Oh um, man. Thank you. You know, I mean, when, when you own somebody's cassettes, you know, what I'm talking about back in the late, like early nineties, <laughs> you know, which, which is the case with soul destruction. I remember yeah. having having that on cassette back in the day, and uh, I loved Power Tripping. By the way, I thought that was thank you. Um, thank I, you. But and then I, I definitely noticed. I've got to ask you this: I definitely noticed the stylistic change on Just Add Life, which I also liked. Okay, I don't want to right. say I didn't like it, but the cover threw me. I'm sure you've got this feedback before, because the cover was so different. The album cover I'm talking about it fit in with Weezer and all of those bands that were around sure. at the time. Sure. I don't know. Were you pressured to to put a cover like yeah. that on an album? Yeah. yeah, but I could have said no. I could have said, you know, go fuck yourself. I'm not doing it. Where the Almighty, I'm sticking to it. But I didn't. So that's on me, and it's on the other three guys that are in the Almighty. We went along with it. We went along to li- listening to what people expected and wanted from us because Britpop was in all its glory. Yeah, uh, you know, in the mid '90s and. You know, I wasn't in a good place either. Again, that's my fault, but I wasn't in a good place. I wasn't, I was in a bad headspace. I just come through a messy divorce. I probably should have taken a bit of time out. I didn't. Um, you know, things were sort of falling, falling apart around me. And, uh, you know, you, you, you sort of carry on thinking it'll be all right. And it was a weird time. And there's some killer songs on that record, on that, on that record. I absolutely agree, agree with you. Yeah. And, you know, the, Storm Thurgson did the, did the cover, who's amazing. Obviously, did all the Floyd stuff. So, but we were pressured into going down a road that we could have very easily turned around. And went, we're not going to go down it, but we didn't because we thought that's what we should do. 
at that time. And it was, you know, it was the, it was the wrong decision. You know, I reckon musically, was. Musically, that was the beginning of the album. end. Sorry, that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the end of the band, really. Yeah, yeah. I thought it must we weren't. Have been, we, weren't we, we, we weren't a band. We were arguing a lot. We weren't pulling together as a band. You know, I was in the studio on my own a lot more on that record than I should have been because the other guys just weren't coming in oh, all really? the time. Yeah, okay. yeah. You know, s- simple as that. You know, we'd lost whatever we whatever had made is great was still there, but we were just ignoring it. You know, like we were still writing good songs, but the, the gang mentality, the the all for one, one for all thing was was gone. You know, it was totally gone. Hmm. I, look, I'm I'm from that era, as I mentioned. I actually, I think you think in hindsight, it's actually probably my favorite album from the band. I've got to say, wow, um, it's, it's I know that that happens, doesn't it? See, because to it me, does. it, it reminds me of Bad Religion, the music that you know. The well, band yeah, Bad but but I mean, but also, I mean, if we if we'd still be wearing, if we'd still worn a denim cutoff and had long hair, I'd still release those songs. Nobody would really bat it an eyelid because it's still heavy. It's still yeah, in absolutely. your face, very yeah. much so. But it's because of the way. We'd look suddenly. We'd smartened up. We'd get short hair, and you know, yeah. People nowadays don't who, who are around now, you know, from Pitchfork and all those dickhead magazines, you know, those on those stupid hipster yeah. things. Like they don't <laughs> understand what it was like back then because they're like twenty years of age, right? Twenty two years of age, and think of they know everything, but they don't understand yeah. the pressure you guys were under to maintain the relationships with label interests and managerial types back in nineteen ninety six for rock. Well, music, every, every, was... every, 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 yeah, everything, because things were still based on how many records you sold back then. It wasn't so much about the live touring because it was yeah. people were still buy, buying the physical product, and it was you know whether you got to to make a a, a follow up album depended on how many records you sold of the one you were working on at that time. You know, I've got to say, I always felt Ricky that you should have been the one who joined joined Iron Maiden, and <laughs> I know this comes up Thanks. a little bit, but. And, and I've got to say, and I'd say the same thing to Blaze. I've said it to some people that are around him, and it's with the greatest of respect to Blaze. He was just the wrong choice, and I have no idea what Steve was thinking. First of all, bringing him into the band, and then B, mm. not tuning down to match that tone, the timbre of his voice. Yeah. But for you, was there ever? I don't look. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know whether you, you've addressed this, uh, and it don't. If you don't want to address it, don't please. There's no sure, no. With me it's all good. But, but did they reach out to you to have a chat to you? Because surely, the goodness, no. you're on the radar. No, no, and I would have turned it down instantly, Andy, because I can't sing like that. I can't sing that high. I've never been able to sing that high. I can't do, I can't get anywhere near the greatness of Bruce's voice on those Maiden songs. Nowhere near it. I wouldn't dream of even attempting or putting myself, I mean, I know my, even then I knew my limitations. I wouldn't dream of putting myself in that position, hmm. you know, because you're set up to fail. And, and I knew I, I, there's no way I could even have come, close to doing any of those Maiden songs justice. So even if they had have asked me, I, I would have, you know, politely declined and just went, I'm, I'm not your guy. You guys toured with Maiden though, didn't you? We did. We did some of Blaze's first shows. I mean, we, we, we were, actually, I think we might have done maybe his first two or three gigs that he mm. actually did with the band. But we toured with them extensively, yeah. A lot. We did a lot of shows with Maiden. Yeah, yeah, it's a very odd time. As I say, people don't who weren't around back then. I was, I was well entrenched back then. I was a big fan. Uh, don't understand yeah. how strange it was back then for rock and metal. It was basically rock and metal disappeared, with the exception of Pantera. it did. Yeah, you know the new metal. The new metal came along, the likes of the Corns and, and the um, Deftones and all that kind of stuff. It was great, you know. But and then Britpop was happening, 
uh, the grunt, we just come out of the grunts. It, it was a weird time. The sort of, like you said, it was a weird time for, for, for hard rock and I guess heavy metal, you know, at that, at that moment in time. Mm. I had a chat to Scotty a couple of years ago. He's just a tremendous fellow, I've got to say. And uh, he rules. He, he told me how much he values you being in the band and the band of brother thing that you guys have got going on, Black Star Riders. Yeah. And I, I firmly believe that few people, if anyone else, I must say, could do what you're doing, given you're singing in Thin Lizzy these days. And that's from two perspectives. Sure. sure. Being able to do it is one thing. But having yeah. the balls, of, having the balls of steel, and, I, and I've listened to your conversation with on a podcast or a YouTube clip, I think it was, uh-huh. where you said you weren't you weren't standing in Phil's shoes, you're standing beside them, and I think that's such a great way to frame it. Yeah. But did you way back when the Almighty was folding and things were sort of not looking that great for you? Because I did listen to another conversation where you were working sure. in a gym. You were telling you were telling yep. the interviewer. Did you have? Was there any inkling? Was that little voice in the back of your head saying that no, stick at it? good things are about to happen for you. No, I mean, there was only one period in my life when I didn't hear those voices. Those voices have, have, have been an ever constant since I was, I can remember, you know, about not giving up. I mean, fighting hard on the albums pretty much encompasses all that. Um, that was when I was working in the gym when I thought, when I let the business beat me, not the music, I let the business beat me, the, you know, the business side of the music industry beat me um, with just, so much crap and bullshit going on with that and I just decided I didn't want to grief anymore and and kidding myself that I would just turn my back on the whole thing and you know the funny thing was that you know I started working and the story this is a true story and I'll tell I started work on the gym on a Monday Hmm. I mean I knew I was living a lie I knew that I still wanted to be on stage and tour and all that but I was just like I'm not Maybe it's not meant to happen. Maybe I've had, you know, I'm 30. Maybe I've had my, you know, my 12 years of it. And it was amazing. And maybe it's come to an end. Maybe that's just the way it goes. Maybe it's time to do something different. But, you know, the first day in the gym, a guy from a publishing company walks in and recognizes me, you know, and, and says, you, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're Ricky Warwick, blah, blah, blah. And what are you doing? I'm kind of not doing music anymore. And he said to me, who owns the Almighty's back catalog? And I went, I do, because I wrote most of it. He said, I'd be interested in publishing it do you have anything else? And I went, I have one song that I wrote on acoustic guitar. It's very different from anything I've ever done before. It's kind of almost a country. It's called the church of paranoia. He said, I'd like to hear it. Could you give me a demo of it? Tuesday morning, I go into the work in the gym. He's there. I give him the demo of the song. He says, oh, yeah, I'll get back to you. I'll listen to it. I go in on Wednesday. He's, he doesn't come in on Wednesday. I thought, ah, you know, he's probably forgotten about it or not interested. Thursday morning, he comes in and he goes, that song's, amazing he says you should this is something you should explore with you know this this kind of vibe and he said by the way i'm interested in in um picking up the, uh, the your, your back catalog and he wrote a number down a piece of paper what he's prepared to pay for me and he showed me it and it's what i would have made working in the gym you know for a full year in one day yeah friday i quit friday i quit the job i was back in the music industry i lasted yeah, four and a half days yeah. Four and a half days. And that guy's name was Dara Kettle. And the, the publishing company was called Peer Music. It's a very famous, famous um, Nashville publishing company. Um, and that was the kickstart. But what was great was then, I Joe, I mean, I was friends with Joe Elliott at this point too. And Joe was going, what are you doing? You know? And I said, oh, he said, no. He said, you're a rocker. You know, you'll, you'll be on. Yes. So I told Joe I'd got the, the publishing money. And Joe was like, right. 
great. My studio. We're going to make an album. You know, and, and, and those two guys were real friends. And Joe pushed. I said, I don't have an, said, we'll make the album. Pay what you can. We'll get a deal. You'll pay me the rest. Boom, boom, boom. So I'm in there doing tattoos and alibis, my first solo record, you know, and, and reinvented myself, reinvigorated, you know, and determined then to do it on my terms and not listen to anybody because of the bullshit that happened with the Almighty, because of the bullshit that happened with the band Sick that I put together just off the Almighty split. And, you know, the same, the same pitfalls happened with that band that happened with the Almighty towards the end. I'm just, no, I'm going to do it in my, my terms now. I'm going to say no to people. I'm going to, you know, if I don't, you know, it was uh, from then on forward, I was like, it's on my terms. And that was, you know, what, 20 years ago, 21 years ago. Yeah. Well, look, I meant what I said that I don't think anybody else except for you could have, could do what you're doing in Thin Lizzy. So, so how did you come into Scott's orbit? Uh, again, I met Scott when I was in the Almighty. Scott's, my ex-wife and Scott's wife used to work together at MTV Europe. Okay. And, you know, she came home one day and she went, I'm working with this, this woman called Christine Gorham. She's married to a guy that's in Finland. I was like, you're, you're working with Scott Gorham's <laughs> wife? I've got to meet him, you know. So, of course, a meeting set up and Scotty and I hit it off. And then the Almighty took off and Scotty was a big fan of the Almighty. And then on that first record, um, Joe, obviously, Elliot knows Scott really well. We decided we'd get Scott over to play on the album. So we flew Scott over to Dublin and he hung out for the weekend and ended up playing on the on the solo record and was really blown away about how I was singing because I wasn't shouting like I did in the almighty. Suddenly there's this voice there that Joe Elliott brought out of me where I'm actually singing and, and, and Scott was just blown away and we stayed friends ever since and kept in touch with each other. And then just, you know, it was a case of the phone call um, from Scott Gorham, January, 2010 going, I'm putting Finn Lizzie back together. I think you're the guy to front the band. Do you want the gig? And it was as simple as that. And the difference, going back to our maiden question, was Thin Lizzy are my favorite band. I grew up in Thin Lizzy. Thin Lizzy is a soundtrack of my youth, soundtrack of my life. Phil is my, you got to pick one guy that finds rock and roll for me, it's Phil. We have the same, we're both, we're both baritone singers. We're both Irish. And I felt that I could do his songs justice. Uh, otherwise I would have said no to that as well. I felt that I could do his songs justice and I liked what Scott had to say and the way he wanted to present the band and the whole thing. I just felt that this was something that was okay to do. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I too believe uh, that he just, I, I don't like doing this, but I will do it anyway. I believe he just, <laughs> he, he, he just nudges Freddie Mercury as the greatest rock and roll front man of all time. I would uh, agree with that, yeah. Yeah, uh, I just and you know what well, you know it clinched it for me talking to Scott, getting Scott's feedback about that performance he did down in Sydney on the Harbour Bridge on the on the on the steps of the Opera House. Sorry, yeah, perform, performing yeah. for about a hundred hundred and twenty thousand people in an Incredible. area that's not not catered for that. I mean, you're talking yeah. about four four guys on stage with a hundred and twenty thousand people in the palms of their hand, and I just I looked know. at it and and Gary Moore, Jesus Christ! I mean, that oh, band at the time, incredible, incredible. You can't recreate it, can you? I mean, that's a moment in time. Thank God it was captured for all prosperity. It's there and that, that stunning Absolutely. harbour down there. But yeah. but but I guess for you, um, that night before the next day when you were going on stage to play and to sing Phil's songs, was there any hesitation or was it, were you always just, <laughs> let's let, no, I, I'm, I'm doing this because this is what I've been asked to do and I need to bring this music to the people? 
there still is. There still is, even when we go out as Lizzie now. It never leaves me. I mean, the enormity of, of, of it and what it means to people and what Lizzie stands for is huge. And it's terrifying. Um, the good thing was I had eight or nine months to prepare, prepare for the first show. But from when getting the call and and we did extensive rehearsals for two or three weeks as well. So I had, but I had nine months to just submerge myself and Phil and Lizzie and just do all the homework and everything. Cause like, you know, you know, it was like, well, we get you not, we'll get you like a teleprompter. No way. I'm not, you know, I'm no, <laughs> you know, I've got to know these, these lyrics backwards, inside out and the whole thing. And so I knew that I was well prepared because I, I, I put, I worked at it incredibly hard. For, for eight or nine months. I mean, I sacrificed everything for it. I wouldn't listen yeah. to any other music. I, I can any tell other again. Yeah, I, I wouldn't listen to any other music. Thank you. Yeah. I wouldn't listen to any other music. My wife works in the music industry. She works for a label. She's going, oh, check this new band out. I'm like, no. It was Lizzie, 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 to the point where it was just, it was overkill, you know? But that's what it had to be. But the first show was in Aberdeen in Scotland, and it was, it sold out the day before about two and a half thousand, three thousand capacity. And suddenly it was like, what am I doing? Why have I agreed to this? Yes. And a buddy of mine came, a buddy of mine came to the show and he said one thing to me and I'll never forget it. And it was really cool. He said, no matter what happens tonight, your life's never going to be the same tomorrow. <laughs> I, I could take that. You know, there's two ways to take that. And, yes. and that's the way he, intent, he intended it. You know, you fuck up here, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be known as the guy that blah blah blah. He said, but you deliver the goods. Who knows where this this could take you? But the whole build up to that day, the whole show was so surreal, and I just remember um, watching the clock in the dressing room getting closer and closer and closer, and just, you know, as excited as I was, I was also terrified. Suddenly, I'm going, "What's the first line?" And are you ready? You know, yes. that stupid stuff like that starts creeping in. We get on stage and the way we'd start it, we start with Are You Ready? And there was like a big, huge kabuki curtain that, that hung over the front of the stage. The intro tape would end. You know, Brian would count us in. Boom. Are you ready? Kabuki would drop. We're off. We're at the races. And I'm standing behind the curtain. Scott Gorms to my left. And my, my, knee, my, my knees starts to shake. You know, I get the trembling in the legs. Yeah. And Scott just leans over and the, the king of cool as Scott Gorham is. He just <laughs> hits, hits me in the ass and he goes, hey, bud, you'll be fine. And I just remember going, I wanted to fucking kick the shit out of him. I wanted to punch him and go, why did you talk me into this? Why have you, why, this is the dumbest, you know, boom, the curtain falls. And we're off. Yes. And the rest is a blur. You know, it's a blur. But the funny thing was about those shows, Andy, was that that first tour was weird because the first two or three songs, everybody's like, what's this guy going to sound like? Is this going to be any good? So they weren't like going, ah, right from the office, Lizzie. They were going, okay, you know, I have to make up my mind is that if this guy's any good at this or if I like it or... So it was weird. By the fourth or fifth song, they kind of go, this is pretty fucking cool. Then suddenly the place starts going mad. But the first three songs every night was always like, What's this guy selling? Is this guy going to be any good? Who does he think he is? Can he sing? Can he make these songs sound somewhere the way Phil did? That was, and rightly so. And it was weird. But one of the coolest things was, 
and it was the power of the internet was the tour had sold pretty well but it hadn't sold out everywhere hmm. and after the first gig was in Aberdeen the second gig was in Glasgow in Scotland after those two shows and the stuff went on the internet the tour completely sold out the next day yes and that was validation to me because people vote with their feet that was validation Absolutely. to me that that, that that this was good yes of course it's not the same without Phil it's never going to be Phil's the lead singer at Thin Lizzy I'm not I never will be Phil's the guy I'm just looking after the songs, but God, isn't it great to be able to hear those songs, you know, play live and loud and with, yes. with, with passion and with soul and, 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 and listen to Phil's amazing lyrics and the legacy that he's left and keep that living on. What's wrong with that? You know, when I say that I think you're the only person that could do it, it's not a mother statement and I'll explain. I, I didn't realise because I wasn't, I've only, re I've got to be honest, man, I've only recently gotten to Lizzie. I thought, I mean, I've always been a rock and metal fan, but they were just a bit like sure. ACDC, you know, everybody's into them. Yeah, So I thought, of course. I, I, you know, I mean, just about every second bloody Australian has a, all, yeah. every ACDC album. So, and believe me, the music scene around where I am, it's all ACDC yeah. too. It gets a bit boring, to be honest with you. And it's sort of yeah. unfortunate what Lizzie into that, but I got into them in big time in the last five years or so. But what cool. I noticed, mate, is that I listened back to Blood, Fire and Love and holy shit, your voice has the same tone. As Phil's, yeah. As far yeah. back as then, you, you're not putting it on. That's you. It's like you're born to do this. Thank you. Well, he was a big influence, like I said, when I, when I was a kid. Um, but I've got older. I've I've got to, to to realize the strength and weaknesses of my own voice. My voice has got better as I've got older, as I've aged. It's just it just it's got deeper and it's got a tone to it. Um, and and that works really well with with, with the Lizzie stuff. Phil's got mm. a very beautiful, soulful voice. Um. And I think him, you know, having that as part in his DNA, being being part being part black, and having that soulful richness that that, that a lot of those great soul singers have that, yes. that we know and love. Phil definitely has some of that, which, you know, you know, a, a scrawny white guy from Belfast just isn't going to have, you know. But I do think I I have a tonal vibe that is similar, and can certainly do do his songs justice. Um, to to uh, a, a level that makes people feel comfortable with them when they hear them. How do you do? You get punishes, and how do you deal with them? Uh, of course, you do. There's a no film, no Lizzie Brigade. I, you know, I don't reply. I don't put energy. I mean, I've got this thing called Bamble. It's called block and move on. Mm. You know, and that's I adhere to that. And sometimes when I do, I mean, I've had it in person a couple of times. I'm going, you're right. There's no film, no Lizzie. I agree with you. Phil's the lead singer of Thin Lizzy. I keep saying this, people. I'm not. When I close my eyes, I don't see me singing with Thin Lizzy. I see Phil. But what yeah. artist wants his music to die when he dies? What's the point in doing it if you're not going to leave a legacy that people can listen to or people can play from time, eternity? It stopped for me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm rubbing it on a lot here. It stopped for me. No, you're not. Andy, it's right, man. Yeah, it's awesome. Andy, Andy. What that, what killed it for me and finished it off for me and made me go, it's never going to bother me again, is when Phil's mom came to see us play. I was going to ask, yeah. yeah. And Phil, Philomena came to the show in Dublin on the first tour. And, of course, I was beside myself with nerves and the whole thing. And I could see her during the show at the corner of my eye up in one of the boxes. with a beautiful old theatre in Dublin. Rammed, sold out. So much pressure because of Phil, Dublin, everything that stands for. Mm. And I didn't look at her. 
and I looked at her. We finished Black Rose, and I looked up, and she was on her feet. She was applauding wildly, and she she was she tears streaming down her cheeks. Mm. And I thought, okay, she dug it. That's cool, brilliant. You know, okay. So we went back and we got changed. And there's an after show party, and I walked into the after show, and she Philomena's sitting there, and she's a very gracious, glamorous woman, and she's holding court, and she instantly stands up, and goes, waves me over, and I was with my wife. Tina was with me and I said, Tina, just, can you just give me a minute? She said, go do your thing. And I walked over and she just hugged me, gave me the biggest, biggest hug. And said, she said, sit down. She goes, my Philip would have loved every minute oh, of that. Every minute of that. She said, the soul and the passion and the power that you put into his songs, he would have loved it. I burst into tears. Like, yeah. I, just, I burst into tears. And she just said, she says, you know, I miss him every second of every day. She said, but for an hour and a half up there, she says, you made me feel that he was here and I missed him a little bit less just flat. And the stuff she said to me was just insane. And she didn't have to say any of it. She didn't even have to talk to me. But that was the, that was the validation right there. That was all I needed was her to, to say what she said to me. And, you know, I walked out of there a hundred feet tall and you know, there's going to be people that don't like what you do in life. That's just the way that it is. There's, there's people that are going to hate you and hate you for no reason. I don't see the point that I don't see the point of making somebody feel bad about themselves just so you can feel good about yourself because then you're obviously the one with a big fucking problem. Um, I've just never bought into negativity and hatred. It just, it's a, it's a dead end street. It gets you nowhere. It gets you nowhere. If you don't like something, don't say anything. You don't have to comment on it. You don't have to make a person somebody feel bad. Just, that's not for me. You don't have to hate on them, you know. Um, but on the whole, I've got to be honest, it's been pretty good. I mean, it's only really in person. It's only been a couple of times that people have come up to me and, and tried to sort of get in. You know, I'm a big guy, so people aren't going to, you know, you know, I, I can look after myself. So, But it's only been a couple of times that people have made a few snidey comments. I'm just like, yeah, okay. They're cool. No problem. So, yeah. don't, come to, don't come to the show. Don't, you know, if you don't like it, you know, but guess what? It's happening. You know? Great. I, I had goosebumps through that story you just shared with Thank me. Thank you. Uh, no, I, I tell, no, I, I mean, see. listen, I've told that story a hundred times. I never get tired of telling it. And, and it's a true story. And, you know, and it was, it was, it was a life-changing moment for me, you know, because I was kind of going, I really wish she wasn't coming to the show before it, you know what I mean? Because of yes. the, the amount of pressure that it was putting on me. But God, I'm so glad that she did. So glad that she did. And so glad that she that it meant something to her. I mean, it was a really emotional night all around, you know. It really, it really was it was just one of those special nights, you know. Obviously yeah. Dublin being what it what it is and what it what it, you know, what it meant to Lizzie, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, oh, it's an incredible tale that you've got there. And I will make this my last question for you is um No problem, man. Mate, you've uh, you've got a heck of a tale to share with people. Your, your life story is is both uh, it, it's it's inspiring, but it shows the value of perseverance and just hard work and just making it happen. Have you thought about writing a book, or has somebody approached <laughs> you about that? I, the, yeah, I've been approached a few times, and the, um, I'm not there yet. There's still a bit more to do, you know. There's still maybe mm -hmm. another ten years of of uh, of tales and and things to happen. I'd like to think so, anyway. You know, I don't feel I'm quite at that point yet where writing a book and it, it feels like the, the, the definitive thing to me you know and I don't it's not ended yet mm -hmm. so I'm a little bit nervous about going 
drawing a line under it when I still feel that I'm still making records and stuff's still happening. And, you know, I had tremendous success with the Almighty and it was brilliant. But the last sort of 10 or 12 years, 15 years, have been amazing for me, the opportunities and the level of success that I've achieved in the last few years, as far eclipsed the Almighty. And that's why you never know what's around the corner. And I'm not prepared to shut that door just yet. You know what I mean? Make it volume one then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, man, man, a couple of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Part, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Sequel. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do, I do think, one thing, I, I write books, you see, so uh, I'm right. writing a couple of biographies at the moment. And I'll be, I'll, I'll, I was going to say later on, you know, I mean, I know you guys, yourself and Scotty had probably had people coming out of the woodwork like Joel and um, um, Mark Eglinton and people like that mm. who were nearby, a Scottish fella. Um well, I'm speaking to Mark fairly soon, actually. He's another good bloke, actually. Um, yeah. But there's a, a real lack of these stories out there, you know, because of all the clickbait and the bullshit. And what yeah. you've just shared to me now, man, for people who are on the train or on the bus going to work or on the ferry, whatever it might be, and they sit sure. down and they read this stuff, this is this is like a drug for me as a rock fan, a metal fan. Yeah. To me, this yeah. is like a drug. I well, thank you. I, I'm not, I don't, again, I, I don't want to write a book where I'm, you know, I've had a lot of shit happen to me like everybody has in their lives, but I don't want to write a book where I'm slagging people off. Mm. Yeah, he's a prick. He did that. He ripped me off. He did that. But yes. I, 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 I adhere to the, you're a victim of your own circumstance. You make your own choices. You make, you know, you, you choose the people you hang out with. You choose the roads that you go down and it doesn't work out. That's on you. You made that choice, you know? And, and so, like you said, if I do do a book, I want it to be, I want it to be a positive experience because I've had a good life. I've had a really good life and I can't really complain about too much, too much about it. I've worked extremely hard and I've sacrificed a lot. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'll be the first to hold my hand up and, and, and say that, you know, um, but it pays off. Mm. I feel it yeah, pays I think, off. I think uh, just speaking to people, a lot of people that I have that are in your position, the one regret that they've got, which you will not have, they haven't started a family. And I think some of them feel that they yeah. got away due to their life on the road. But sure. you've got sure. that well-rounded perspective on things. Yeah, I mean, it was always important to me. I always, I mean, I just always wanted kids. And, and you know, being, I think just being a tree cancerian as well. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a home bird. I mean, I've been at home now. I haven't played a show since November 2019, you know. Mm. So almost coming up a year and a half since I was last on an airplane, never mind play a show. And for somebody that was turned as much as, as we were, that's incredible. And yeah, of course I miss it. But you know what? I've had a great time being at home with my family and my kids and just on broken time being here for all the birthdays and the, the Thanksgivings and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. It's been lovely. I've really, really enjoyed it. You know, do I want it to be like that way forever? No, because I love playing live and I love touring. But I always used to you know, say one day maybe I'll take a year off and just, just chill with a family. I've had that now, and it's been great. So, you know. All right, brother. I can't tell you. I, I, thanks for your candor. I, I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long, mate, ever since uh, I used to dream as a kid about talking to people like you, I've got to say. I'm in my mouth. Oh, mate, thank now, you so but, much. You're you very know. kind. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Well, and, and you've been great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. Yeah, so, uh, look, hopefully when all this bloody COVID bullshit dies down, we see you down here, or maybe I'll just have to go to your Definitely. part of the world over there. Yeah, well, either guys. way, work it, either <laughs> way is fine. 
just as long as we can get out and mingle and, and get back to doing what we love, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, mate, thank, the well, yeah. no, th thank you, mate. It's been lovely. And thanks for letting me ramble on. I really enjoyed that. It's really cool. No, I, I love listening to it, brother. All right. Well, thanks, until mate. the next one. Don't Definitely. Be safe. Okay. Thanks, pal. Thanks Cheers, Andy. Bye-bye. Catch you. Bye. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that interview subject was the one and only Ricky Warwick from Thin Lizzy, the Black Star Riders, and of course he's got his solo thing going on. Thanks for tuning in.